Good morning, everyone. It is good to be here with you and once again to preach the Word of God and to share the scriptures, the eternal, everlasting Word of our God. As you know, we are continuing our message series on biblical characters, and we have been studying the life of Abraham. As you know, the Bible tells us in Galatians in chapter 3, in verse 7, that Abraham is considered, Abraham later, he is considered to be the father of the faithful. And so we will continue to study his life this morning in a very special chapter. We are going to read the entire chapter. Our uh, passage for our focus today is in Genesis in chapter 15. And so let us begin. If you are able, let us all stand together for the reading of God's word in the book of Genesis in chapter 15. There are many verses, I'll read most of them, but I will ask you to read the final verses with me. The Bible tells us, beginning in verse 1 of chapter 15, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not fear, Abram, I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me since I am childless? And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Since you have given no offspring to me, one born in my house is my heir. Then behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This man will not be your heir, but one who will come forth from your own body. He shall be your heir. And he took him outside and said, now look toward the heavens and count the stars, if you are able to count them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. Then he believed in the Lord, and he reckoned it to him as righteousness, as he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans, to give you this land to possess it. And he said, O Lord God, how may I know that I will possess it? And so he said to him, Bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, and a three-year-old ram, and a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Then he brought all this to him, and cut them in two, and laid each half opposite the other, but he did not cut the birds. The birds of prey came down upon the carcasses, and Abram drove them away. Now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and behold, terror and great darkness fell upon him. God said to Abram, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, where they will be enslaved and oppressed 400 years. But I will also judge the nation whom they will serve, and afterward they will come out with many possessions. And as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace, and you will be buried at a good old age. Then in the fourth generation they will return here, for the iniquity of the Amorite is not yet complete. And it came about when the sun had set that it was very dark, and behold, let us read these final verses together. And there appeared a smoking oven and a flaming torch which passed between the species. On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your descendants I have given this land, from the river of Egypt as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, the Kenite and the Kenizzite and the Kedmonite and the Hittite and the Perizzite and the Rephaim, and the Amorite, and the Canaanite, and the Gergesite, and the Jebusite. Ain't you glad you read this verse with me? <laughs> Let us all go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, we praise you for the privilege of standing here in your presence to hear from your word, Father. Your word that is everlasting, that is transforming, and we pray that as your word tells us in Romans chapter 15, verse 4, that these words from the Old Testament would minister to us in their true meaning for us, in, in the spiritual applications and lessons that we have for us in the new covenant. Bless us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Based on these verses in Genesis chapter 15, I would like to share with you a few thoughts on this topic, the Abrahamic Covenant. The Abrahamic Covenant. Before we dive into chapter 15, it is important, of course, for us to understand what the Abrahamic Covenant is. A covenant is an agreement between two parties. In our modern day, it would be the equivalent of a contract. 
If you have a contract with someone, if let's say if you're renting an apartment, you have a lease agreement, the landlord has obligations to maintain the property, and so do you as the tenant, you also have obligations in the upkeep, and of course you have to pay your monthly rent. So both parties have obligations as to that legal contract. The Abrahamic covenant, the Abrahamic contract, in a way, is different because it is an unconditional covenant, meaning that all the obligations of the contract God took upon himself to fulfill. The Abrahamic covenant promises, they do not depend on Abram, they depend on God alone for, it, for its fulfillment. Now, we must understand what are the promises that God made to Abram when he made this covenant with him. The Abrahamic covenant first appears in the Bible in Genesis in chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. And God made four specific promises to Abram when he appeared to him in covenant, making that contract, that legal covenant with Abram. That was unconditional, remember, that God alone would be the one responsible for the fulfillment of all these promises. In the Abrahamic covenant, the first promise that God made to Abram was that he would have many descendants. The first, promise, the first promise is that Abram would have many descendants. In Genesis chapter 13, verse 16, the Lord says, I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, so that if anyone can number the dust of the earth, then your descendants can also be numbered. I want you to notice even now that the Lord says, I will make your descendants, not we will. Not you and me together, we will work so that this covenant is fulfilled. No, God will always say, as we will see in these four promises, I will, not we will. God says that this is an unconditional covenant. God will take care of it. God will bring it to fulfillment. I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth. The second promise that the Lord makes to Abram is this. And I'm pretty sure that soon you'll be able to see it. God tells Abram that the next promise is that he will become a nation. In Genesis in chapter 12, in verse 2, the Bible says, again, God says, I will, I will make you a great nation. Thirdly, the Bible tells us that the Lord also made a promise to Abram that he would have a specific portion of land, that the Lord would deed to the nation that the descendants of Abram would become. The Lord makes this promise in Genesis in chapter 12, verse 1, as the Bible says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And lastly, and certainly not least, the Lord also promised Abram that he would have many blessings. In Genesis in chapter 12, verse 2 and 3, the Bible says, And I will bless you and make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. After making these promises to Abram in chapter 12 of the book of Genesis, in our chapter today, God confirms all these promises. God confirms the covenant he was making with Abram. Because of this, most theologians and most Bible scholars agree that Genesis chapter 15 is one of the most important chapters in the entire Bible, particularly because of this promise in the Abrahamic covenant that reaches you and me, where God says that not only Abram would be blessed, not only his descendants, but the Lord made a promise that those who would believe in him, all the families of the earth would be blessed through this covenant, as we are going to see before the end of this message. And so the Abrahamic covenant, God promises Abraham that, Abram that he would have many descendants. His descendants would become a nation, and that nation would inherit a specific portion of land, and the Lord would also bless Abram, and those who would believe in the God of Abraham, they would also receive many blessings. And so now that we have a basic understanding as to what the Abrahamic covenant is with the four specific promises that God made to him in an unconditional covenant God would fulfill, it doesn't depend on Abram, we are going to go back to Genesis chapter 15 and go through those verses. Beginning in verse 1, the Bible says, 
After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. After what things? Obviously, we can assume that the Bible is referring to the things that happened just previously in chapter 14. But we must also understand that as the Bible is speaking here after these things, the Bible is going back to where God made the original covenant with Abram. We go back to chapter 12. After the things that happened after chapter 12, when God first made the covenant with Abram, what happened after that? First, Abram left his place and he went to Egypt because of the famine. Then in chapter 13, we saw that he and his nephew Lot, they became separated. And then in chapter 14, we saw that Abram, he fought four kings to rescue his nephew Lot with only 318 of his trained men. And at the end of chapter 14, we saw that Abram was blessed by Melchizedek, Melchizedek, the king of Salem and a priest. After all these things had, had happened, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Now, as you may know, the book of Genesis is the book of firsts. There are many things that we see throughout the Bible that we see for the first time in the book of Genesis. And this is one of them. This is the first time that you see in the Bible these words. The word of the Lord came to such and such. Throughout the Bible, you see these words being used when the Lord is speaking to one of his prophets. But did you know that in Genesis chapter 20 verse 7, we see the word prophet being used for the first time? And do you know who is the person who is called a prophet in the Bible for the first time? None other than Abram. He is the first person called a prophet in the Bible. So it is fitting that the first person who is called a prophet would receive these very first words of God appearing in the Bible for the first time. The word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. And what exactly it is that the Lord was telling him? The Bible says, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, Do not fear, Abram. I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. And this is another first. This is the first time that God utters these words to one of his servants. Do not fear. Fear not. Do not be afraid. It is said that these words from God appears in the Bible 365 times which is enough for us to be reminded every single day of the year that if we trust in the Lord, we should not fear. But this here is the very first time where you see these words being uttered from the mouth of God. Do not fear was what the Lord said to Abram. He said, do not fear, Abram. I am a shield to you. Obviously, if the Lord was saying for Abram not to be afraid was because God saw that his heart was fearful. What was he fearful about? Well, as we saw in Genesis in chapter 14, in the previous chapter, he had defeated four kings with only 318 trained men. Certainly, Abram was probably fearful of retaliation on the part of those kings, that they would regroup and come against him. Well, God was quick to say, do not fear, Abram, because I am your protector. I am protecting you. I am the one who gave you victory before, and I will continue to give you the victory afterwards. I am a shield to you. But not only God said for Abram not to be fearful because he was his shield, his protector, God also told them, do not fear because your reward shall be very great. Your reward shall be very great. Your blessing, your inheritance for those coming after you shall be very great. And that is struck a chord in Abram's heart. Because at that moment, even though God had promised him that he would have a great reward, that he would have a great blessing and an inheritance for his descendants, up until that point, even though God had promised him that he would have a descendant, that he would have an, his own offspring, his own child, still Abram remained without any child. God had promised that to him. But the Bible tells us in Genesis, in chapter 11, in verse 30, that his wife, Sarai, it says right there, Sarai was barren. She couldn't have children. They couldn't have any child. But God had promised, I will give you descendants. And when God speaks this to him about what he will be able to leave for his own family, Abram said, oh, Lord, I trust in you. You have promised me this. But do you know what Abram said to the Lord 
once he heard these words from God, confirming that he would have this reward, this inheritance to live, to leave to those who belong to him. Abram listened to these words from the Lord. I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, so that if anyone can number the dust of the earth, then your descendants can also be numbered. He certainly remembered the promise of God that the Lord had promised that he would have many descendants. But in his eyes, he still could not see the promise being fulfilled. Have you ever been there? When you are waiting for a blessing from God, but the blessing still hasn't come. When you are praying unto the Lord, when you are seeking the Lord with all your might, with all your heart, and you know that the Lord is faithful, and you know the word of the Lord, but the blessing still hasn't come. What you have been waiting so fervently, the Lord still hasn't given you that, he hasn't given you that blessing. If that is your experience, the same thing that the Lord did for Abram is what the Lord does for you. The word of the Lord came to Abram. It is the word of the Lord that comforts our hearts in these moments of waiting. Until the blessing comes to your life, go to the word. Do not abandon the word of God, but it is in the word of the Lord that we have our comfort, that we have our consolation. The word of the Lord is faithful. The Bible tells us in Numbers chapter 23 verse 19, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not make it good? God is faithful. God saw the turmoil in Abram's heart. He had received the promise that he would have a child and many descendants, but that promise had not been fulfilled yet. And so, how do we know exactly that this was weighing in Abram's heart? The fact that despite the promise, he still didn't have a child. We know that by Abram's response to God right after. In verses 2 and 3, we see Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? How can you give me this reward, this blessing, this inheritance, since I am childless? And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, since you have given no offspring to me, one born in my house is my heir. Abram was saying, Lord, you promised me a child, but I, I have none. The only one that I have in my house, in this translation it says one born in my house, but it, it doesn't actually mean that Eliezer was born in his house. It literally means the son of my house. He was the master of his affairs. Eliezer was taking care of Abram's affairs in his household. And he was saying, Lord, I don't have a child. And the only one who could inherit all these things that you say you are going to give to me, he's not even a Hebrew. He's a foreign slave born in Damascus in Syria. Uh, he will be my heir. And someone may say, perhaps Abram is speaking with words of doubt here. Perhaps he's fearing that the promise of God is not going to be fulfilled in his life. But no. If we understand what Abram spoke here of God, we actually notice and we actually realize that Abram is speaking out of faith in the Lord. Because you see how he first spoke of God? It says, Abram said, Oh, Lord God. This is another first in the Bible. In English, we see the translation saying, Oh, Lord God. But do you know what Abram said to the Lord, which appears in the Bible for the very first time? For the very first time, we see someone referring to God with this word, Adonai. Adonai Yahweh. Adonai. Which means the sovereign one. Which means the one who has sovereignty over, over all. The one who has control. The one who has dominion. The one who speaks and the one can stand against it. His purpose, his plans cannot be thwarted. As Job says in Job chapter 42 verse 5. We know that the word of the Lord is faithful. And Abram was speaking out of that trust that he is Adonai. That he is the sovereign one and nothing can impede the promises of God. Abram was saying, I still haven't seen it, Lord, but I know that you are faithful. Let your faith rise above your facts. Your factual reality. Your eyes may be seeing one thing. But let the power of God allow you to rise above the circumstances so that you can see your God. 
The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians in chapter 5 verse 7 that we must live by faith and not by sight. Sometimes what you are seeing with your eyes will be completely opposite to what the Holy Spirit of God wants you to believe by faith. If we could see everything in front of us the way we understand and the way that we can possibly want and desire, then that wouldn't be faith. Faith that can be seen cannot be faith. And that is exactly what the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1. How is faith defined? Faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. He was seeing that he didn't have any child, but by faith he was counting on Adonai. And how did God honor the faith of his servant? Entrusting that he would come true and indeed give him a child and descendants. The word of the Lord came to Abram and said, Then behold, the word of the Lord came. This is the second time we see this in the Bible to God's prophet. Then behold, the word of the Lord came to him saying, This man will not be your heir. But one who will come forth from your own body, he shall be your heir. It's not going to be this foreign slave from Damascus. No, I promised you that you are going to have a child and I am going to fulfill my promise to you, Abram. One who will come forth from your own body, he shall be your heir. The thing is that when God promised Abram that he would have a child, Abram was 75 years old. And do you know when God fulfilled this promise that Abram would indeed have a son? Abram was 100 years old. There is a 25-year gap between promise and fulfillment. How would you do? Some of us become impatient when we have to wait for 25 minutes. Can you imagine having to wait a blessing for a quarter of a century? God said, no, you are going to have a child of your own <laughs> in 25 years, which he didn't reveal that to him. But God is faithful. God is faithful in what he promises. What did God do for Abram to remain strong in his faith? Year after year after year, he is relying on the promise of God and no child. And he's getting older and older and older, and his wife is getting older with him as well. She continues to be barren. What does God do to sustain his servant? What does God do to sustain him in his confidence and faithfulness to God, that God would be faithful in his promise to him? Do you know what God does? He took him outside. God took Abram outside. Abram was inside his tent where he could only see his circumstances, where he could only see the top of his tent and nothing outside. Too many of us, when we are faced with troubles and conflicts and crises in our lives, we just stay inside our tent, the tent of our circumstances where we can only see the problem. But in this example that God gives us in the life of Abram, so we must follow. Do not stay inside your tent, the tent of your discontentment, the tent of your discouragement, the tent of your hidden sins, the tent of your resentment. No, come out and see your God. The Bible is telling us that the first thing that God did to sustain Abram's faith for those 25 years was that he gave him a very special experience. He took him outside his tent. And what did God say to him? And he took him outside and said, now look toward the heavens and count the stars. If you are able to count them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. God was saying, I am faithful and I will fulfill my promise to you. You have a child of your own. And not only that, you have many descendants coming from you. Your family will be vast as the stars of heaven. And this was literally fulfilled when Moses in the wilderness in front of millions and millions of Israelites. The Bible tells us in Deuteronomy chapter 1 verse 10 and in Deuteronomy chapter 10 verse 22 that Moses seeing all the people of Israel, he said, you are more numerous in number than the stars of heaven. 
The Lord was faithful to fulfill his promise to Abram. And he spoke these words to him. And after God gave Abram this experience of taking him outside his tent, the tent of his circumstances, the tent where he could only see the dark, the tent where he could, only, he could not have complete hope of what the Lord was going to do for him. What happened afterwards? The Bible tells us in verse 6, Then Abram believed in the Lord, and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. Abram believed in the Lord, and God credited to him as righteousness. If Genesis chapter 15 is one of the most important chapters in the entire Bible, then Genesis chapter 15 verse 6 is one of the most important verses in the entire Bible. Because something happened here, folks. This is not the first time that Abram manifested faith in the Lord. We have read many a times in Hebrews in chapter 11 verse 8 where the Bible says, By faith, Abram, he left his place to go to a land that he did not know. He had already demonstrated faith in God and the promises of the Lord. But something special happened here in the way that he believed in the Lord. The Bible says he believed because the Lord afterwards credited to him as righteousness. What happened? Abram had a very specific experience of faith that the Lord Jesus Christ speaks to us as to what happened to Abram here. In the New Testament, in John in chapter 8, in verse, six, in verse 56, the Lord says, Jesus answered, your father Abraham, he rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it, and he was glad. When God took him outside that tent, and when he was able to behold the glory of God, he not only received the faith that he was going to have a descendant, that he was going to have many descendants, but he was also able to see and place faith in one very special descendant that he was going to have. At that moment, he was able to see that one of his descendants would be none other than Messiah himself. The Lord Jesus Christ, the one who was going to die for our sins, the one who was going to pay the penalty for our sins, but the one who was going to rise from the grave, he would be the one. He is the one that Abram had the privilege of seeing and receiving by faith at the moment when God took him outside the tent. He rejoiced to see my day. He saw it and he was glad. God credited to him as righteousness because at that moment Abram was saved. Abram was filled with saving faith. Not simply faith in what the Lord had told him, but at that moment it is established for us to know how the saints in the Old Testament, they received salvation. It was not through the observance of the works. It was not through the observance of the law. But how did the Old Testament saints get saved? Because they believed in the promise of Messiah. They believed in the promise of the Savior who was to come. How are, you, are we saved today? We are saved by placing our faith in Jesus Christ, our Savior, who came 2,000 years ago. How was Abraham saved? He was saved by placing his faith in Jesus Christ who was going to come 2,000 years in the future. He believed in the Lord with saving faith and God credited to him as righteousness. The Apostle Paul speaks of that in Romans in chapter 4 where the Bible says, In hope against hope, Abram believed. With respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully assured that what God had promised, he was able also to perform. Therefore, he was also credited to him as righteousness. The Bible says that Abram, he believed in hope against hope. He believed in hope against hope. What does that mean? The Bible is revealing to us that there are two kinds of hope. The hope according to God and the hope according to the world. The hope according to the world is based on what you can see. It is probable to happen. Let's say you are running late for an appointment. You are running late for a meeting. And you get into your car and once you get to 95, even though you are completely late, some way, somehow that day, there's no vehicles ahead of you. 
It's like the parting of the Red Sea. The road is completely clear and 95 miraculously has opened up for you. So even though you had a late start, you still have hope. Yes, I can make it. I, yes, I, I can still do it on time. But if in another day you are having a late start, you get into your car and you get to 95 and there is a 10 car pile up ahead of you, you have no hope. You are going to be very late and you know it. Because the hope according to what you think is probable to happen, it's just not going to do it. The Bible tells us that Abram, he believed in hope against hope. The hope according to God is not based according to what you can see. But it is based upon the power and the faithfulness of God, despite of what you see. And understand that the Bible tells us in Hebrews in chapter 11, in verse 6, that without faith, it is impossible to please God. Guess what, brother? Guess what, sister? There will be many a times in your life, in your spiritual walk as a Christian, that God will purposefully bring you to a situation, bring you to a place where you must have hope against hope. Because without faith, it is impossible to please God. And if faith is not based according to the hope, according to the world, that you can see ahead of you and you calculate, yeah, it is probable that that can happen. No. If faith is a conviction of things that cannot be seen, then, and if that is what pleases God in your life, then God will purposefully bring you to situations where you must have hope against hope. Where what your eyes can see, hmm, it's not going to be looking too good. But you know, God, like Abraham, I choose by your grace to have hope against hope. The hope of God in your life through the power of the Holy Spirit is what you continue to believe and expect to receive from him despite of what your natural eyes are seeing. And God honored Abram's faith. And the Bible tells us that Abram was privileged to see the first fulfillment of the four promises that God made to him in the Abrahamic covenant. God allowed Abram to see the fulfillment of the fact that God told him that he would have a son of his own flesh, a son of his own. In Genesis chapter 21 verse 5 we read, Now Abram was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And his wife Sarai was in the lovely age of 99 when she finally gave birth. That's what God does. He was privileged to see the fulfillment of the first promise of the Abrahamic covenant. But how about the next promise? God not only promised him descendants, but God also promised him that he would have the descendants being recognized as a nation, occupying a specific portion of land, and being a blessing to many families of the earth. God allowed Abram to see the first promise being fulfilled. But none of the other promises Abram was able to see with his own eyes here on this earth. God promised that his descendants would become a great nation. The Bible tells us in Exodus chapter 1 verses 5 through 7. That when Jacob, Abraham's grandson, left with his sons to join Joseph in Egypt, there were only 70 people, hardly a nation. And that is all that Abram, in his near future, would be able to see. And not even that, because he had already passed away. But when Joseph and his sons, when they moved to Egypt, and Pharaoh gave him the land of Goshen, there were only 70 people in total. It wasn't until... Many years later, when the people of Israel would indeed be occupying the promised land, when God raised one according to his own heart. Not Saul, but David was the one called a man after God's own heart. And the Bible tells us, finally, in 2 Samuel, in chapter 7, in verse 1, that God had established the kingdom... And he established David as the king. And he gave David 
comfort and peace throughout the land from all his enemies. God had once again come through in his promise that he had made to Abram in the Abrahamic covenant. The Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 17, verse 6, God said, I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings will come forth from you. Unfortunately, Israel was not faithful to God. They were disobedient to God, and they abandoned the Lord, worshiping foreign gods, foreign deities, making statues of the deeds of the foreign countries. And so, out of discipline, God made Israel to be dispersed throughout the world through captivities, beginning with Assyria, then Babylon. The nation of Israel was dispersed because of its disobedience. Remember, the promise of God in the covenant to Abram was unconditional, depended only on God for its fulfillment. But Israel rejected God. But God never rejected Israel in the sense that he is faithful in the fulfillment of this promise. And after many years, after many centuries, on May 14, 1948, the promise was fulfilled. When the Star of David began to be waved, and Israel was finally recognized as an established nation to stay. This was 4,000 years after God had made the promise to Abram. But God was faithful because his promises are unconditional. How about the next promise? God promised Abram that he would have land that his descendants would become established nation and that nation would occupy a specific portion of land. The Bible tells us that God said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess it. And he said, O oh Lord God, how may I know that I will possess it? O oh Lord God, remember what that means? For the second time we see that word, that title of God in the Bible, Adonai Yahweh. Adonai. You say that I will possess this land that my feet is standing on, are standing on. How do I know, God, that I will possess it? I am here. I came here by faith. But how do I know that I and my descendants and the nation that they will become, that they will actually own this piece of land, that they will actually inherit this piece of land as you have promised? Adonai. How do I know? How may I know that I will possess it? Once again, he is confessing his faith in Adonai, in the sovereign one, the one who would fulfill all, all his promises. And it is essential that you remember this question. Oh, Lord God, Adonai, how may I know that I will possess it? It is critical that you keep this question in mind that Abram asked about the land because everything that God does next is in response to this question. When Abram asked the Lord, how may I know that I will possess, that we will indeed own the land that you have promised to us? What God does next, let us see and understand what the Lord did. In response, the Lord said, so he said to him, Bring me a three-year-old heifer and a three-year-old female goat and a three-year-old ram and a turtle dove and a young pigeon. Then Abram brought all these to God and cut them in two and laid each half opposite the other, but he did not cut the birds. In order to confirm to Abram the promised land, literally, the promised land that God had promised to Israel, the descendants of Abram who would become a nation, in order to confirm to Abram the land that he had promised to his descendants, God requested that Abram would make animal sacrifices. God asked Abram for a three-year-old heifer or a female cow, a young cow, a three-year-old goat, a three-year-old ram, a male sheep, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Abram was supposed to kill these animals and cut them in half. Why? God was the one asking Abram to do so. 
And Abram was going to fulfill and obey what God had told them to do. A three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old goat, a three-year-old ram, a male sheep, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. He killed them and cut them in half. Why? Because in those times, there was a specific ceremony where covenants would be confirmed. If you have to have a legal agreement, a legal covenant, a legal contract with anyone today, you would have a piece of paper and perhaps you go to a lawyer, to an attorney to write down the terms and then both parties sign and perhaps even before you have it notarized so that it is all legal. It is confirmed. It is written there. Well, 4,000 years ago, things were not done that way. For a covenant to be confirmed between two parties in ancient terms, they needed to kill those animals and cut the animals in half. Half the animals would be to the party's left, and half the animals would be to the party's right. And each party in that covenant would pass between the corridor that half the animals made. And each party would say, may what happened to these animals happen to me if I break this covenant. May what happened to these animals happen to me if I break this covenant. May what happened to these animals happen to me if I break this covenant. So Abram was being obedient to what he understood to be the ceremony for the confirmation, the ratification of covenants during those times. But remember, the covenant was to be unconditional. God said, I will, not we will. That is important to remember. Because afterwards, what does the Bible say? Then Abram brought all this to him and cut them in two and laid each half opposite the other, but he did not cut the birds. He killed the heifer, the goat, the ram, and he killed the turtle dove and the pigeon. He cut the other larger animals in half, but he didn't get to cut the birds. Why? Now, some say, well, he didn't cut the birds because according to the law of Moses in Leviticus in chapter 1, verse 17, birds were never supposed, when offered in sacrifice, to be severed in half. Yes, the law says that in Leviticus 1, 17. But Abraham, he lived centuries, hundreds of years before the law. The law did, had, didn't have anything to do with it. I believe that the reason why Abram did not cut the birds is related to what the Bible tells us right after. The Bible says then he brought all this and cut them in two and laid each half opposite the other but did not cut the birds. Why? Because the birds of prey came down upon the carcasses and Abram drove them away. He didn't get a chance to get to it. The birds of prey, the vultures, they already coming down to attack the other animals that were already dead and cut in half. He didn't get to cut the turtle dove and the young pigeon because he had already to be fighting the vultures who were coming, that were coming down to pick on the dead carcasses. You see, the birds of prey, the vultures, it takes them at least 24 hours to come down to dead remains. Vultures, they do not eat fresh carcasses because their beaks are too soft. And if they were to attack and try to eat fresh carcasses, their beaks would break. And so they must wait until the flesh begins to decompose and putrefy so that after 24 hours they can, they can come down and it is easier for them to pick at, at that dead carcass. But you see, under the scorching sun from the Middle East, it is probable that those dead carcasses, they began to decompose much faster. And so the vultures came down. Much sooner than Abram was expecting. Can you believe what's happening here? Abram was doing everything according to our God had told him to do. His heart was pure. His conscience was clean. 
And all that he's doing is, according to the customs of those times, he's trying to put half of the animals in one side, half of the animals on the other side, create the corridor, and he's saying, God is doing this to confirm the covenant with me. So God is going to confirm it. God is going to pass in that corridor, and I will also pass between those animals. I must confirm the covenant with God. We will do it. Ah, but Abram was mistaken. It was never God's intention for that to be a conditional covenant. It was unconditional. Only God was going to fulfill all the requirements. But Abram, he did not know that, did, did he? 4,000 years ago, you and I can look back and say, God was preventing Abram from completing the requirement of cutting the animals so that Abram would not have a chance to pass between those animals and confirm the covenant himself. Now, you and I know that, but Abram did not know because the Bible doesn't say that God revealed that to him. In fact, he did not cut the birds because he was quick to try to fight off those vouchers who were trying to come and eat the dead carcasses that were so needed for the confirmation of the covenant. Have you ever been there? When your conscience is clear, your heart is pure, you are doing God's will, you, you know that you want to honor the Lord in everything that you do, in everything that you say, but it seems that the vultures just keep coming to you. That the conflicts and crises and everything that is happening in your life and you say, God, why is this happening to me? Lord, I just want to honor you. I want to live my life for you. And God, it seems like I'm having one battle after the other. What is happening, Lord? It is with my kids, it is at work, it is with my finance, it is in my marriage, it is in my health. What is happening? Why do I have to keep on fighting this? God, give me a break. Can you imagine Abram? He was being so faithful in everything that God was asking him to do. And the vultures just keep on coming. And he is having to fight battle after battle after battle. You and I must understand that when we are faced with battles in this life that absolutely makes, make no sense to us, it is in those moments that you must say, Lord, I don't understand this, but you are Adonai. You are the one who hold. You are the one who is holding my life. You are the one. You are holding my life in your hands, God. And even if I have to wait for this blessing for a long time, even if I have to see the victory over, this, over these enemies, even if I have to wait for a long time, I know, God, that my life is in your hands. And I have nothing to fear. And I have nothing, nothing, nothing to complain. Because you know best. My life is in your hands. Do you know what happened after? The Bible tells us, now, when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram. Why does the Bible say this? That when the sun was going down, when the sun was going down, you know why? Because that's when the vultures finally went away. Vultures, they only attack under the sunlight. Once the sun begins to, to go down, the vultures go away. They don't attack during the darkness. So, this shows us that Abram was probably fighting against those birds for a long time and crying out and expecting God. You can just say one word and these birds will all fall dead. But he was fighting against them and then finally when the sun went down, probably Abram, Abram could be saying, Aha, the Lord answered my prayer and so now I'm going to cut the birds. I'm going to pass between these animals and I will confirm this covenant with the Lord. Is that what happened? No. The moment the vultures were gone, he falls down. Someone may think, well, maybe because he was too exhausted. Talking about a 75-year-old man who for hours is trying to shoo, shoo, shoo. Can you imagine? But no. It's not that he fainted out of exhaustion. The Bible says a deep sleep fell upon Abram. You see, this is the second time you see this expression in the Bible. The first time we see this expression, which is just one word in the Hebrew, a deep sleep, is in Genesis chapter 2, verse 21. And do you know what happened there? When God made Adam 
to fall into a deep sleep because he created Adam from his rib. That deep sleep came from God and the same here. After the battle with the vultures was over, God did not allow him to kill the other birds and pass through those animals. But God made sure that he would be gone. Poof. Sleep, Abram. Sleep. God knew what he was doing. And at that moment, God not only made him, not only prevented Abram from confirming the covenant with him, but God had something even more special to show Israel, to, to show Abram that would happen in Israel. In response, remember, in response to the question that Abram had asked the Lord, Adonai, how do I know that I will possess this land? Everything that God does is in response to that question. And the Bible says, now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram. And behold, terror and great darkness fell upon him. When God made him fall asleep, he began to have a dream, more like a nightmare. The Bible says that he was filled with a terrifying darkness that came upon him. God was doing this not only to prevent him from cutting the birds and walking between, and walking between them, but God also, in response to the question about the land, God was telling him what would happen to Israel before they would inherit the promised land. The Bible says, God said to Abram, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, where they will be enslaved and oppressed 400 years. God was saying, yes, I will be faithful. They will possess this land that you're asking me about, Abram. But before that happens, they will be enslaved and oppressed 400 years in a foreign land. Abram was in Egypt, the land that the Lord is referring to here, actually for 430 years. From 1875 B.C. when Jacob and his sons went to Egypt to join Joseph there, until 1445 B.C. when Moses and the people of Israel, they are finally released from Egypt. That's 430 years. But I believe when the Lord says here 400 years specifically, it's simply because the beginning of the time that Jacob and his sons, they were there in Egypt with Joseph, it was with a nice Pharaoh where Israel was not being oppressed. But then that pharaoh died and a new pharaoh came around and then Israel began to be enslaved and oppressed. And the Bible tells us in verse 17, And it came about when the sun had set that it was dark, and behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a flaming torch, which passed between these pieces. God told Abram, yes, they will inherit the land, but before they are going to be suffering for 400 years in Egypt. But then when the sun had set, it was already very dark. Behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a flaming torch which passed between the species. When Abram was out just having this vision before the Lord, that's when the Lord passed between the pieces of the animal. And the Lord alone confirmed the covenant as it was always intended to be, an unconditional covenant only the Lord passed between those animals. But he passed in the symbol of the smoking oven and the flaming torch. What does that vision mean? A smoking oven and a flaming torch. What the Lord was revealing to Abram was the fact that as the Lord had said, the people, they were going to suffer in Egypt. The smoking oven represents the times of suffering that Israel would have in Egypt, being enslaved and oppressed, as the Lord had said. But also Abram was able to see a flaming torch, meaning that the presence of the Lord would still be with them. Despite the fact that the people would suffer, the presence of the Lord would be with them. The Lord would never renege on his covenant with Israel. The Lord would never renege their, his covenant with his chosen nation. Despite their unfaithfulness, despite their disobedience, the Lord was going to be faithful because it was an unconditional covenant. This is just like what the Lord Jesus tells us in John chapter 16, verse 33, to you and me. 
He doesn't say that in the world we are not going to have problems. That after we become Christians, we are going to enjoy a problem-free life. No. But he says, in the world you have tribulations, but be of good cheer, because I have overcome the world. There will be many a times where you think that God is allowing you to be inside a smoking oven. That you are being roasted, that you are going to go through this tribulation and God is not doing anything about it. But remember this, the flaming torch of God is with you. The Lord will never leave you, the Lord will never forsake you. It will be there will be difficult times in our lives as Christians, but remember, the Lord is always there with us. You may not see him, but remember, we must have hope against hope. We must hope with the spiritual eyes that the Lord gives us and not according to what we see in our circumstances inside our tent. Come out and see God. The Lord said, a smoking oven, the, the Bible tells us that there appear a smoking oven and a flaming torch with, which pass between the species. But God also revealed to him, but I will also judge the nation whom they will serve and afterward they will come out with many possessions. God also promised Abram that the Egyptians, they were going to do this against the people of Israel. But they would be punished. They would be judged as a nation. And as you and I know, Pharaoh and the Egyptians, they were indeed put to the test through the ten plagues that the Lord made through Moses to come against them. And it wasn't until that plague number ten, the plague of the firstborns, when finally Pharaoh allowed the people of Israel to be released. And at that moment, that prophecy was also fulfilled. Afterwards, they will come out with many possessions. The Bible tells us in Exodus in chapter 12, verse 35 and 36, that Israel plundered the Egyptians, taking many, many of their possessions. Not because the Jewish people robbed the Egyptians, but the Egyptians were so happy to see Israel leaving after the death of their firstborns that they gave to the Israelites everything that the Jewish people were asking them that they needed to receive. And so the word of the Lord was completed. And those many possessions were actually used by Moses and the people of Israel for the construction of the tabernacle in the wilderness. God was faithful to his promise. And then the Lord says, Then in the fourth generation they will return here. For the iniquity of the Amorite is not yet complete. That word generation can be translated century. After 400 years, as God had said, they will return here. Abram was saying, yes, I am faithful to give my people this land that I am promising to you. But before they will suffer this 400 years, I will punish their, their land. I will punish their nation. But then they will finally come here. Because the iniquity, the wickedness of the Amorites, representing all the Canaanites and all those names that we read, all those nations, their wickedness, it is not yet complete. God was saying that he was going to give those lands to the people of Israel, not because Israel would be perfect in their righteousness, but it was a punishment against the wickedness of the nations that were occupying the land before Israel. That is in Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse 4 and 5. God was punishing them because of the sins that they were committing that, including burning their babies. And so God was saying, after that, they will return here. And so we see that God will give to Abram the specific borders of the promised land that the people of Israel would indeed inherit. All in response to what Abram had asked the Lord. In Genesis chapter 15 verse 7 we see the beginning of the promise and then we see this in verse 18 and 21. On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying, To your descendants I have given this land. From the river of Egypt as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, the Kenite and the Kenizzite and the Kedmonite and the Hittite and the Perizzite and the Rephaim and the Amorite and the Canaanite and the Gergesite and the Jebusite. The Lord was telling Abram that the lands occupied by all these nations, by all these nations would be all the territory that Israel would receive. Is that the territory that Israel occupy today? Is that the territory that the Jewish people are occupying today. Today, if we were to look at the map, that dark spot is the nation Israel. That area is the country of Israel. That takes, in its completion, only 8,600 square miles. The entire country of Israel is only the size right now of the state of New Jersey. 
However, the promise that God made to Israel, the borders that God gave to Israel, that Israel is supposed to receive in fulfillment, in faithfulness to the covenant that God, unconditional covenant that God made with Abram. Oh, the promised land is much larger than this. It's more like this. It takes a great part of Egypt, Sudan, most of Saudi Arabia, most of Iraq, all of Jordan, most of Syria, even Turkey being the space of the Hittites in the times of Abram. That is the promised land. But that is only going to happen when they will see one coming in the clouds with all his glory and with all his power. When the Lord Jesus Christ comes down here to earth to establish order and righteousness. And it is at that moment when the Lord Jesus Christ established his millennial kingdom here on earth. That finally that portion of the Abrahamic covenant will be completely fulfilled. When the Jewish people, those chosen and selected by God. They will finally receive all the territory that the Lord has promised them. And the Palestinians say today that Israel is occupying their lands. Oh, they don't know what's coming. <laughs> as for Abram, after God had showed them all that, as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You will be buried at a good old age. Abram didn't see any of that in real life. Just as a promise, being a prophet of God. God said, you're not going to see any of this. You're going to be dead. You're going to be here with me. You shall go to your fathers in peace. Are you at peace with God? God told Abram that he would be at peace with him. Is your soul in peace with God? If you were to die today, where would you spend eternity? Do you know where your soul would be going? The Bible tells us in Hebrews in chapter 2 verse 15 that there are people who live all their lives in fear of death. But the Bible also tells us that Jesus Christ came to destroy the one who had the power of death, that is Satan. And deliver those who are afraid of death all their lives. That is Hebrews chapter 2 verse 14 and 1 John chapter 3 verse 8. If you only repent of your sins and recognize your shortcomings and your failures, how they insult God and how your sins keep you from spending eternity in the presence of God. Can you imagine this now? How your own failures and how your own sin are against God. But God in his mercy, he has offered his only son to die for your sins and to grant you forgiveness if you ask the Lord. And the Lord Jesus will save your soul and you will be with him forevermore. The Bible says that God told Abram, you will be buried at a good old age. By Genesis chapter 25 in verse 7, we know that Abram died when he was 175 years old. He received the promise when he was 75 and then God allowed him to live another century. But even though he lived to be 175, he still did not see one of the most important features of the promise that the Lord would give to him. Not only he did not see the fulfillment of Israel being a complete nation, but he also did not see Israel receiving the promised land and the many blessings that the Lord would give to those who believe in the God of Abraham. The Bible tells us in the words of Stephen to the Jewish Sanhedrin in Jerusalem, in, within the promised land, Stephen said, God gave, God had Abram move to this country in which you are now living. But he gave him no inheritance in it, not even a foot of ground. And yet, even when he had no child, he promised that he would give it to him as a possession and to his descendants after him. He continued to believe by faith in hope against hope. And lastly, as our time has expired, the Bible tells us that in the fourth and last promise that God made to Abram, there will be blessings. In you, the families of the earth will be blessed. This feature of the Abrahamic covenant is fulfilled through the new covenant in the Lord Jesus Christ. John chapter 1 verses 11 and 12 tells us that the Jews, they refused the Messiah. 
But God then, to anyone who receives salvation and believes in Christ, God then gives those the power to become the children of God. All in the plan of the Lord. This feature of the Abrahamic covenant is fulfilled in the new covenant through the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why we partake and remember of communion. The new covenant that is made in the body and through the blood of the Lord Jesus. And that is our salvation. What Abram received from, the, from God when he saw the blessings of God, when God took him out of that tent and saw who God was, Abram was actually listening the basics of the gospel message. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 8, the Bible says, The scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, All the nations will be blessed in you. So then, so then those who are of faith are blessed with Abram, the believer. Brothers and sisters, before we pray, let us glorify the Lord our God, for he is faithful in all that he says. He is faithful in all that he promises us that he will do. We have no reason to fear. Fear not, as the Lord said to Abram, is the word for us. Let us simply glorify the Lord for his blessings upon our lives. We know that Israel will receive all the blessings of the Abrahamic covenant in the end when all the elect Jewish people who will be alive when Jesus Christ returns, they will be part of the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant. Until then, let you and I, as part of the church, continue to glorify the Lord, for the Lord has saved us. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much, Lord, for your faithfulness toward us. Who are we, Lord, that we will be objects of your love, of your compassion, of your redemption? We thank you for being part of the faith that you began to reveal to Abram, the father of the faithful. And we thank you for this faith that has come to our hearts as we worship and glorify your name. I pray, Father, that you would bless us now, that we would not, never, ever forget that you are always faithful. Despite of what our eyes can see, let us always see life through the eyes of faith. Bless us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.